Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Bad Talks. We are excited to be back. I mean, we are really on a roll, I think, Kay. We've been... Uh, three, three in a row. Yeah, we've three been, or four. Right. We've been having some great guests during the summer months. Um, just because it's hot outside doesn't mean we can't still learn more about relationships and other fun topics. That's the best time, right? Exactly. Because it gets hot <laughs> in here. Okay, it's getting a little uh, frisky today. So <laughs> anyway, welcome back to Bed Talks. I don't know where you guys are in the world right now listening, so I'm going to steal Kay's opening good morning, afternoon, or evening. We are so excited to have today with us Dr. Elizabeth Federick. She is a therapist. I'll let her introduce herself, but welcome to the show. Yeah, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about like who you are and the work that you do? Sure. So I'm a licensed professional counselor. Um, I own a couple of practices in Arizona and my specialty is I do relationship work. Um, I specialize in attachment and trauma and so often work with my clients on the impact of trauma on their relationships and how some of those traumatic experiences from upbringing might be presenting for them present day and in their adult relationships. And so that's, um, you know, my passion is whether it's doing individual work or a couple's family, the relational piece of it is certainly my passion with that. That's really neat. I mean, I think, you know, what we are definitely seeing is a shift or a pendulum swing right in the direction of people really being more conscientious around their mental health with us coming through this pandemic. And you're seeing people really start doing a lot of self-reflection on things that have impacted them personally and how it does impact the relationships they have. So I was reading there's a statistic out there that now when people are even dating, that they will not consider, I think it's like 80 or 90 percent of the time dating someone who's not willing or who hasn't done work where they've gone to therapy or tried to do something around reconciliation of their mental health issues. I think that's pretty interesting. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible, actually, and, and much needed. And I can completely relate to that as a single person in the dating field. But, uh, yeah, I, obviously, as a therapist, I'm going to be biased to that. But <laughs> I certainly, um, that is something I check in on for sure before I move forward because it makes a huge difference. That self-awareness that comes from that therapeutic work makes a huge difference difference in the dynamic. Can we talk a little bit about just like traumas and and you know how so much of like our past can really kind of play itself out in life and like when you work with people who've been through past traumas like what are you know some of the best ideal ways you take them through that course of recovery because Kay and I will be playing devil's advocate asking you a few other questions later because you know sometimes <laughs> people think that someone can go and fix them in therapy but really the therapy Ooh, work <laughs> she touched a nerve she touched a nerve <laughs> but the therapy work as you probably know especially if you're dealing with people with attachment issues and trauma it has to be a mutual effort right with the therapist and that person work working hand in hand correct Sure, absolutely. And, you know, the therapist really being the guide and, and helping just to hold up a mirror, helping with the self-reflection and so that the client is able to come to some of those discoveries on their own. But as we know, when we are, when we've lived the experience, when we're in the experience, whether it's our past experiences or being in a toxic relationship, it's so easy to be trapped in that and get some tunnel vision. And so 
really having a hard time seeing what's going on from from an outsider's perspective. And so, yes, I do. The therapeutic alliance is crucial to healing and to that processing. But really, in my clinical opinion, it is a lot more about the therapist guiding and supporting the client through the process more than anything else. Oh, my goodness. I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad. I'm so yes, uh, Dr. Liz. Yes, Dr. Liz. That's what I'm going to call her because uh, those of you out in the audience know that Elizabeth, aka Eno. Um, you know they share the same name. Um, Dr. Liz, I really appreciate you saying that. There were two words that you said. I think you said to to guide, to help guide the relationship. Yes. And what was the other part that support. you added? Support and support. To, to support. Yeah. Those are two keys in any relational dynamic, but especially when you're seeking help and assistance in that relationship. Now, I have to ask you, what led you to the trauma side of, of things? Because you said you specialize in, in trauma. So what led you to that uh, to that side of, of, of counseling or therapy? Yeah, that's a great question. So because my passion is in attachment, my dissertation for um, my doctorate was founded in attachment theory. And a lot of that is about the experiences that take place in those early years between the primary caregiver and the child. And the previous research on it really is about the abuse or chaos, about severe physical neglect. But the present day research, or really, you know, over the last multiple years, uh, has been shifted to about not just what happened to us, but what didn't happen to us. And so what we didn't receive that we needed and the emotional neglect piece of that. And so I believe that trauma is all encompassing and that we've all experienced it in one way or another. And without really understanding it through that trauma lens, we are quick to judge, we're quick to criticize. Why is this person, why is my partner showing up this way? Why do they keep behaving in this manner? without asking, you know, so the question becomes what's wrong with you versus what happened to you. Mm. And that trauma piece really gives us insight into where these behaviors come from. I really like that. Like, you know, you know, as opposed to why are you doing this, which I feel like whenever you put why in front of something, it makes people very defensive versus like what has happened to you. That's very powerful. What are some of the, you know, techniques you give people who've been through trauma of breaking that pattern? Because like you said, when you're in therapy and you're doing counseling or coaching with um, clients, it is true. You're holding up a mirror to someone, right? And sometimes it's hard to see ourselves, which is why I think when you're in a relationship, that mirror becomes magnified because you have someone on the other side giving you more feedback. Um, but how do you like, you know, if someone's like had a significant trauma and it's just hard for them to even just really deal with it or talk mm -hmm. about it because it causes so much pain. I mean, how do you even get that door open for them to like, you know, break down that wall or that barrier? That's a good question. That's a good question. Cause there are a lot of adults who still have that childlike, um, I guess you can say, you know, security blanket, you know? So yes, that's a good question. I'm curious, Dr. Liz, how do you pull that out of, of, of individuals? Yes. So really going back to the therapeutic alliance, that therapeutic, the rapport has to be built. And so that is, that is so important to me that I am showing up as another human sitting across from you. I'm not showing up as the authority on your life because I don't, I don't know your life. I didn't live your life, but I can be your ally in this and I can be your support and I can hold your hand through the process, no matter how painful it gets. And so that has to be established really early on. And then 
as I start to dig into it, within the first couple sessions with almost all of my clients, I do a timeline activity that usually spans over a couple sessions and we start at birth. And, you know, I always say, obviously you don't know, you don't know, you don't remember birth, but what do you know about it? What do you know about who was living in your home? What was the dynamic of that? And then we move forward throughout the lifespan. And we're talking about significant events as we do that. And I always put the disclaimer that a significant event is really subjective. It is what is significant to you. And so that is what we talk through. And I found that by creating that timeline early on, they have the opportunity you know, to share these events uh, as in depth or as limited as they want to. But then we now have a visualization of these are you know, a vast majority of the significant events that have taken place in your life. So now we can go back through it and we can start really event by event and start processing through. I also use that timeline to determine patterns and themes because I'm a big believer in core beliefs and how they show up for us present day that were, you know, developed in those early years and they're reinforced throughout the lifespan. And so by having that timeline, we also get to see what are some of these patterns of trauma? What is the patterns of rejection, of abandonment, of neglect? And then once we are able to identify that, that that has become part of your core belief, it's so much easier to understand why as an adult, when you're in conflict and your partner walks away, your entire body is flooded with abandonment because now we get it. We understand where it's coming from. And so that's a big part of how I just even started with the trauma work is you know, let me understand you, let me see you, let me hear you, and then let's do this together. Yeah, I like that. I I remember there was an exercise, I remember a psychologist talking through of where they divided the paper into four corners, and they talked about what did you need from like your primary years? What did you need from, you you probably know where I'm going. (laughs) What did you need? No, no, please go on. Yeah, what did you need as you got older? And then they also had like your partner also put those things down. And then they then took it to adulthood. What do you feel like you need now? What do you feel like is missing? And what I found interesting about the four areas or the four quadrants is that as much as we think we shift our needs, we don't shift sometimes our mm. needs, especially if the, the the needs are unmet. So I, I agree with you. Like, I feel like everything is rooted in something like nothing. You know, when people say someone's crazy or they're this way, there's something that usually has happened that's led to that significant event, you know, and the trauma is really when you have trauma or um, even, you, you know, you talk to. Uh, military people who have PTSD, it's mm-hmm. literally a breakdown, you know, of, of your nervous system when you have trauma. It, it, it literally creates a reaction, which is why we have such extreme reactions sometimes, you know, in situations where there's something significant that happens because it pulls back that same experience over and over. It's like you're reliving it just in different ways. So, yes, and you're absolutely right. And that is a big part of the work that I do with my clients is going through the uh, the brain science of that, that what is truly going on biologically, what is going on in your brain, and we break down the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex, and exactly as you're describing, those traumas get stored, the amygdala is designed to store sensory memory. And so it is storing those experiences, and sensory memory means that you could just look at me the wrong way, and if that reminds me of something, that's gonna trigger me in the same way, because that's a sensory experience, and so, you're exactly right, and that's a huge part of trauma work is helping individuals to understand you're not crazy. Your brain is wired this way. It is interesting because, I mean, I think about body language and communication and how complicated it is even when we speak the same language. 
now add in there <laughs> different language, mm-hmm. different backgrounds, different ways or, or traditions you, you know, you practice growing up. And now you're combining all of these things, which is like, it reminds me like when you're driving sometimes and you're maybe flagging someone off, like, go ahead. And they're like, are you waving me off? Like, you know, just how easily people can construct something um, in their mind based on their experiences. So the trauma, the trauma response is just super interesting to me. I just, neuroscience is amazing the way our our brains are we train our brains right um to really? react to things but but i'm, I'm really curious about something I, i've heard you dr liz talk about you know traumas that it, it appears primarily stem from childhood but let's be real there are some traumas that are formulated in adulthood so mm-hmm. how do you deal with both and how are you able to i guess you know um um uh, critique you know critique if these traumas stemmed from childhood from adulthood or both, because as you said, you have to build a rapport, you know, with your clients, which I think is, is very smart. So, you know, you, you build that relationship and that comfort level. But how do you deal with, with both when it stems from childhood, adulthood, uh, and in some cases, both? Yeah, and a great point, because you're right. It is not always about our childhood. And that's a great point. I'm glad you bring that up. We do have experiences in adulthood, whether early, present day, and when I do that timeline, it, and that's why I do it for the whole lifespan, because it really gives us the opportunity to see all of those events, whether in childhood or adulthood. And I use EMDR therapy for trauma, so I movement desensitization and reprocessing. And that's the, treatment, the trauma treatment modality that I use. And the protocol for that is that we start with the first or the worst trauma. And so to your point, that worst trauma might have happened two years ago, might happen last week versus in childhood. And so when we have that timeline, we can really reflect on, okay, what is still active for you and, or what is most active for you? And let's start there. Um, I think the other aspect of that as well is that I'm interweaving. So we're not just sitting in the timeline. We're not just sitting in history. I'm a huge advocate of, we have to pull the past and check in on the present in order to make changes for the future. And so what are the maladaptive behaviors that are coming up for you present day? And when we have that timeline, we can look back and we can say, ah, I mean, that makes sense that you get upset every time X, Y, and Z happens or that you react this way and we can see it. And that really takes, as Elizabeth is saying, that that takes the crazy label out of it because then they can see, you know, these were my experiences, whether childhood or adulthood. I like that. So it's almost like you're preempting people to think through the thoughts and and actions before they happen in a way to kind of say, okay, this is what happened before. This is the history of it. And when you which falls under the umbrella of communication, sorry to cut you off, but I know that's always the foundation. You don't communicate those things. Those things, you know, are, are pretty much never known. Right. And I think the communication part is hard, Dr. Liz, right? Because sometimes people may hold back on that communication because maybe they were punished for communicating, mm. right? That that need or that that situation they went through and maybe someone exploited it. So that just further embedded them into like kind of protecting, you know, putting a protective guard up and saying, okay, I'm Good not going to express because it doesn't feel like I have a safe space to do it. And when mm-hmm. I've done it, this is what's happened. And then Good if point. that, then to your point, if they misconstrue that it's happening again and again, they're reliving it over and over. Is that kind of what you're saying, Dr. Liz? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, So while I do believe that communication is a crucial aspect of a healthy relationship, 
I actually believe that the foundation, even under communication, is emotional intimacy. And I believe that emotional intimacy is the basis of what creates a healthy relationship. And what I mean by that is emotional intimacy is, it's about safety, connection, trust. It's the message that, hey, I can maybe not show up perfect for you today, but I know you're still gonna love me. I know you still got my back because we have that type of trust built between us. And then the communication is then layered right on top of that because we now have the safety that I can I can tell you something vulnerable. I can express something, maybe a need that's not being met. I can tell you, I can have a hard conversation with you. And that can be, it might be hard, but it can be safe enough that we can do it because we have this basis of the emotional intimacy. So let's take a step back. Say that's something, you know, in your relationship that you struggle with. Say that, you know, you're trying mm-hmm. to communicate your needs, but you don't feel like you have that safe space. Because say maybe you have, you know, you may be with someone where they throw things in from the past, right? That you shared in like a, a delicate way. I'm just throwing examples out there. Of, the intimacy know. has been tainted many, you know, right. many times. Right. So, so the emotional yes. intimacy has been tainted. How would you take a couple to ground zero to kind of build that safe haven or to rebuild it? If they try to do that, it just, they keep hitting a wall or a barrier uh, when they go there. Yes, which is such a common thing that comes up for me in session. So I, I have clients tell me all the time that my approach is a lot different than what they're used to because a lot of times they go into therapy and the focus is immediately on communication without understanding what is the foundation that is built first. And so the question you're asking is exactly what I do with my clients. We check in on that. I'm observing body language, nonverbal cues, facial expressions. I'm observing all of that as they're interacting and I'm assessing what does the safety look like? You know, when they have their legs crossed opposite directions or sitting as far apart as they can, their faces are cold and terse while their partner is talking, we know there's not emotional intimacy there. So we know we have to start from ground zero. And I really, I start with nonverbals a lot of times. And so I help them to see, I'll, I'll point it out during session. Like, do you, do you recognize how you might be coming across to your partner right now? Do you, if, if I did hold up a mirror, if I did record it, would you have any idea of how you're presenting and how unsafe it might feel to somebody who's wanting to share something vulnerable with you? A lot of people genuinely don't realize because when there isn't emotional intimacy, both partners are guarded. They have their walls up and they've learned, as you guys are saying, they've learned they've had to because it's not safe. And so when we can just even start with like, okay, let's take a deep breath and cross our arms, like relax your jaw, you know, create just a little bit of safety in the nonverbals, then that gives us the space to check in on, you know, what is it that you do need? What is it that you're not getting? And we can, we have a long way to go from there. But that's at least where I start of like, do you even realize how you're showing up to your partner right now? It sounds like you're creating a, um, I guess you say a verbal video for your clients. Let me tell you what I mean, because you're looking at the body language, okay? Um, if you've ever been recorded, whether audibly recorded, video recorded, and you see yourself, you look at yourself slightly different. Well, I think it's the same when someone is explaining to you how you're 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 acting or reacting, be it you know the the body language that's being displayed. When when you're able to analyze those things, do you present those things to your clients? Like, see, look at you. You're folding your arms. Look at you. You're I don't know. You're crossing your legs, or or look at you. Your facial expression doesn't seem to be engaged. Is that something that you point out 
to your to your clients or you just you know kind of let it you know work itself uh, work itself oh, out no 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 I'm, I'm definitely pointing that out oh. because that's i believe that's where the change comes in i am um a therapist that will be incredibly gentle and supportive with you but you are there spending your time and money for change and change doesn't come from you know sugarcoating that whole experience and so there is a time and place where the challenging is necessary and and that's usually you know i'm not going to come at them but that's where the question is of do you do you realize how you're presenting right now do you realize how you're showing up to your partner and when they say no which is often what happens then i get to gently describe what that looks like mm. so let's say you're able to create like that that space of like okay now i'm aware of how i'm showing up for my partner okay my body language i'm aware that this could come across to my partner a certain way now we're working on communication say you move to that area why is it so hard? I think, you know, when people go to therapy, I think the most frustrating part is people are like, I've been to therapy, but it only works if we both do the, the work, right? Mm -hmm. And I think initially people are very excited because they can see progress from the work. But what is the key, really, to keeping up the best practices that you learned in therapy? Because it seems like a lot of couples fall back. Do you think it's either because, A, they sometimes, you know, that people, because of their core beliefs of who they are, they really can't overcome those things? Or do you think it's... A lack of willingness to, to change or what what is your been your observation as a therapist on those types of things well so my therapeutic approach after setting that foundation is actually going back to the timeline um we will do the time when i start meeting with couples we do the timeline for each partner all in the same room together okay and so what we're doing is we are helping the partner to now see it through their trauma lens. So this goes back to, instead of what's wrong with you, the what happened to you, when each partner gets to hear what these early life and then really throughout the lifespan experiences were like, there's so many aha moments of, oh, that makes sense why you have this reaction. So I actually, so I'm gonna move from building a little bit of that foundation and I'm gonna move into timelines because of attachment work and because that's what my practice is founded in we have to understand how each of their attachment styles are showing up in the relationship and then once we do that and get that established and they can when conflict arises i encourage them to look at it from what is it you know what is your spouse's inner child saying to you right now what is going on for them are they feeling afraid are they feeling rejected and that often lowers the guards down a little bit, then these communication tools that we're learning can be that much more effective because defenses have lowered even more. So long story long, I apologize, but no, it really good. starts with that emotional intimacy going into the timeline, which helps us to build, build on the attachment piece. And then that's when I usually go into the communication skills. And I don't, generally, I don't believe that most people don't follow through with what they're learning because they don't want to, but rather because it's so hard to learn a new behavior. Yeah, right. It's like it's almost like change. It's like change management in a corporation, right? The hardest thing yes. typically is not the change; it's getting people to accept the change. But I'm gonna ask you something. I'm really curious, Doctor Liz. It sounds like you observe um, very critical details as it pertains to your, your clients. But I, I have to ask you this. Now, let's be real. A lot of people know how to put on put their best you know, foot forward. Do you find that some of your clients 
act, you know, uh, start acting in front of you. In other words, you know, putting on a false front or face while in front of you because they know that you may possibly, you know, uh, uh, call them out about some of their behaviors. Or do you find that people are pretty much true, you know, uh, uh, Truth, true to what that they're displaying and, and to who they are when they're in front of you. I think it definitely goes both ways. But you know what's funny about that is their partners real quick to call it out if um, mm. if they're not showing up as their authentic self has mm. been my experience with that. So I would say a majority of my clients really do. Obviously, I don't know. I, you know, I don't. I don't live with them, so I don't fully know, but. I would say they're showing up relatively authentic because they're showing up messy. And so if they, you know, wanted to really hide that, then they would be hiding those messy parts too. So I would say for the most part, they show up that way. But then if not, I would also say the other partner's pretty quick to Yeah, to call it out, right. Yeah, we can kind of dig into what's going on there. I think the attachment styles, I'm really glad that we've dug into that more, you know, as of late, um, just helping people kind of understand that piece, because I think it's so critical to like what you're saying, that sometimes when someone's reacting, it's easy to look at that first layer of it, but there's usually a different, a, 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 a deeper layer. And I think, you know, one of the things I had recently read that I, I thought was pretty interesting, um, Time Magazine did a series of articles talking to different therapists and psychologists about our feelings, our emotions, how we operate in relationships, how our foundations affect relationships, how we are raised and so forth. But one thing it talked about was like with anger and how often that's a bodyguard emotion, right? And that often anger mm -hmm. behind anger is frustration or depression or helplessness. So really, if you can kind of peel that veneer layer back, right? And, and kind of look behind that, it's like, Kind of like, I like what you even said, like, what is your inner child needing? Because when we think of a child, we think of someone who needs us and needs our right. help. And it immediately lowers your defense mechanism in a way, right? If you see a child in need in general. So if you can kind of look at your partner and say, well, this is a person, this is a human, of course, but this is someone who also has some feelings that I just need to acknowledge in this, you know, this moment. And that will make this moment completely different. I think it really changes the way you problem solve, right? Um, when things okay. come up. Yeah. What other, I mean, what other trends are you seeing as far as anything new emerging that you're studying around neuroscience or just, you know, some of the challenges couples are having anything new coming out on the horizon? Um, I wouldn't say anything new that I'm recognizing, but I would say there's a lot of things that are not tapped into when it comes to couples work. So just building on what you're saying about anger as a secondary emotion and digging into what's under that, the self-regulation piece is something that's not talked about in couples therapy, uh, even close to often enough. And what I mean by that is that when we go to engage in any form of conflict, we are both incredibly dysregulated. And this goes into that, to the brain science of it, this goes into our amygdalas are activated. And so a lot of the work that I do with my couples clients is even working on some of those self-regulation techniques of how can we get the prefrontal cortex back online before continuing that conversation um, so that we can really get to what, as you're saying with the anger being just a front, what is under that? Um, and I think that that particular skill, that particular uh, need tool is not presented nearly enough when it comes to relationships. I think that's so such a good call out because we talk about conflict and people give us tools. Okay, yay, but when I'm mad, I'm mad, right? 
I'm not trying <laughs> to think through the six steps I have to do. Right, I mean, right. as a human, I think people, you, 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 your intentions are there to approach conflict the right way, but conflict, to your point, your brain is spinning. So, like, how do you talk couples through that? Like, what did you know? What are some of the techniques that you utilize um, to help them with conflict? Because I'm going to be honest with you, I kind of took a sneak peek on your page, and one of the <laughs> things, yes, ma'am, one of the things that stood out with me was the, I think it was titled "The Behaviors to Avoid During Conflict," and I think it was four. So I looked at those four, and I'm like, what? Criticism, uh, <laughs> contempt, <laughs> defensiveness, stone. I think stonewalling, or, or when when a person just shuts down. I'm like, well, my goodness, are we robots? Do we are we supposed to? I don't know, drink a sip of wine or something before we go in. So please, Doctor Liz, I, I would love for you to not only you know answer Elizabeth's question, but what I'm asking kind of piggybacks off of what she just stated. How do we resolve that? Because I'm human. I'm sorry. I'm an emotional being. But how do I turn or hey, switch? You and me both. <laughs> I mean, that is that is the reality. And that's I will tell my clients that all day long. I don't pretend for a second that I'm not just as human as you, that I don't get just as dysregulated as you, that I don't have just as many attachment insecurities as you. And so I get it. And I get exactly what you're describing. And I myself can get pretty dysregulated. And so... Um, I think I, I love the direction you're going with that is let's really normalize that we are human and it's never going to be perfect. So conflict is going to be messy. There are going to be hurt feelings. We are going to do it wrong. Going back to the emotional intimacy piece, can we establish a foundation where there is enough trust in the other person that even when we mess up, even when we get it wrong, we can hold space for that. We can have some grace, maybe not in the moment, because I mean, when it gets like that sometimes it's not so easy to have grace in the moment but that's that is really what I say about that we're never going to be perfect here's some ideas of what you can do I talk a lot about really the quality of a relationship is not about the rupture it's about the repair mm. so you can have conflict it's going to happen but the willingness to go back to your partner and to say to them hey I really messed up I really hurt you I see what I did I'm going to work on it I, I believe personally that that is a huge aspect of working through the conflict. Um, but to answer Elizabeth's question in regards to the regulation piece, uh, the three W's is one of the approaches I teach most often. It's something I developed a few years ago and it's very simple. Um, the first W is what's going on. So checking in and what's going on in your body what's the physiological response. A lot of people don't recognize that before we get dysregulated about anything, our bodies react first because the amygdala is triggered. It sends out the hormones, the neurotransmitters, and our body is inevitably going to have a response to that. When we can increase somatic awareness and we can recognize, for me, it's my stomach. So if somebody said something to me that did not sit well, my stomach is going to let me know that it's not sitting well. And so the first W, what's going on? The second W is where is it coming from? So I can take a second to assess, okay, I know this feeling a little too well. Um, where is it coming from? Okay, maybe I didn't like the tone that my partner just took with me. Okay, I can sit with that for a second. And then the third W being what do I need? Well, probably lashing out or you know, snapping back, getting disrespectful is probably not what I need because that's just going to escalate this. 
Um, maybe what I need is to walk away for a second. Maybe I need to get a drink of water. Maybe I need to take some deep breaths or maybe I need to tell my partner, hey, the way you said that hurt my feelings. And I get that the three W's, that sounds really lengthy. When you start doing it, when you start practicing it, it really just, for a lot of my clients, they talk about it becomes more like second nature. They're able to check in before that initial reaction. Because as we know, it's usually the initial reaction that is lighting the match and then the explosion follows after. Have you ever counseled yourself in the heat of the moment? Have you, I, I'm, I'm really curious, Dr. Liz, have you? Oh my God, yes. Yes, to be completely honest. Yeah, I have to do, walk through all that, I have to be like, okay, what, what's going on? Okay, this is familiar. Um, yeah, and I walk myself through the whole thing. And I think that reminder of, you know, if I am encouraging my clients who, who trust me greatly to do this, then the least I can do is do it as well, you know, do as we preach. And so I, to your question, absolutely, <laughs> I, I walk myself through it. I, I love that because, you know, down here in the South, you know, we call it hypocrite, you know, uh, and, <laughs> and so, you they know. They might call it that <laughs> So, you know, no matter what profession you're in, you always find yourself trying to coach or teach someone, you know. Um, and as I've told, uh, you know, Elizabeth uh, before, you know, working with, with adolescent, you know, with, with youths, with kids, with students, you sometimes find yourself on the hot seat with no students around. And if you want to be true to who you are and what you've already taught, you have to live up to that. So there have been a lot of times where I had to literally backtrack and say to myself, OK, you've taught these students all these years. You have mentoring programs. Now, what are you going to do? Now, keep in mind, everything is now going at the speed of light. So it, it literally has to be ingrained in you for it to come forth, you know, so that you can make the necessary, uh, you know, correction before making a huge mistake. You know, um, and, and before we end, I do have to ask you this one last question. What is your favorite word to hear from your client couples? A favorite word that you did whenever you hear that word, whether they're trauma, you know, riddled, whether they're dealing with some other issues. What is your favorite word to hear from your clients? Connected. Mm. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, when when I hear them say, you know, as we get going through the work and we do the check in before we get into session and they talk about feeling connected. I, we felt more connected this week. We had moments of connection. That is so powerful. That is that makes my soul very happy. And I just want to go back to your three W's, Dr. Liz. I love it because I think a lot of times we do have emotional responses to your point and physical responses. And sometimes we don't you love it because they start with W's and Wonder Woman. <laughs> Wonder Woman is her idol. So but go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, Wonder Woman is my idol for those listening. That is true. So the W's will be very easy for me to implement in my own relationship because I hey, I learn as I talk to people like you as well. But I just like that you're kind of giving people a way to think through it and what it might feel like. And that the response is normal. Because I think once you normalize something, you can say, okay, what I'm feeling is normal. Like, it's normal for me to feel uncomfortable in this moment. And this is how it's showing up. And okay, this is, oh, let me pause for a second. Let me take a deep breath, right? I, I love that. And then just the fact that then you're like, okay, now how can I communicate this? Because then you're still dealing with the thing that's giving you that trigger or that emotional response. So you're actually solving through it, but you're giving yourself time to process it as well. So I think that's very clever. Yeah, it's awesome. And you pick and, you, you pick and choose. 
I mean, I understand the three W's, you know, mm -hmm. I also understand, you know, uh, some of the, 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 I guess, conflict resolution steps, but, you know, you pick and choose. So just like someone who comes on on television and he's talking about, you know, healthy foods to eat, you know, Dr. Liz, that was this man I watched years ago and, you know, he was really good, uh, a doctor of nutrition and he just went down this palette of things to do, not to do, not to do. And I'm going to be honest with you, by our into that program, I got so discouraged. I started fussing to myself like, man, you are crazy. I cannot not do all those things. But what was the what was the saving grace is towards the end of that program? And you've kind of, you know, uh, resorted to this as well. That man said, now, listen, I know I've given you guys a wealth of information. Please understand it's impossible to try to follow everything. He said instead, pick and choose. Pick and choose what your strengths are because you will become mad if you try to hold on to and execute everything that I've taught you here today. And I thought that was realistic because we are human, you know. So listening to you, I, I, I kind of get that same vibe. You know, look, I'm going to teach you, but understand you are human. Let's learn from that and go forward. And I like what you said. Conflict is messy. If it wasn't messy, people wouldn't be talking to their therapists about it. You know, if, if, if we could solve through these things on our own, we would be able to. But there is value sometimes, again, in having someone hold up that mirror, provide that support, provide insights, you know, where, where there's practices of what works and what doesn't work and trying those things, right? I, I think there's so much power to that. So thank you so much for being on the show. I could talk to you forever. Kay knows this. I go... Mm -hmm crazy for this kind of stuff yeah, especially I, if you're talking about the w's wonder woman <laughs> <laughs> wonder woman's gonna like that <laughs> right and then the neuroscience i'm like whoo my brain's lighting oh, up I know it. it's fascinating but thank you so much for coming on the show where can people um find you learn more about you what if they want to come see you how do they go about doing that Yes, so my website is evolvecounselingaz.com, and then I can be found on Instagram at Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick, uh, and that is where you will find me the easiest. I'm on there quite a bit, um, you know, answering DMs and comments, and uh, it, it is my passion, so I love to engage on that topic. Yeah, I can tell you're passionate about it. Thank you for bringing so much knowledge tonight. I know people are going to totally enjoy this podcast, and we may have to have you come back again. I mean, you can't talk about all the attachment issues and traumas in one exactly. one podcast but like i think you've given yes. people some good um strategies coping strategies at least to get started so guys we're gonna oh. end our show thank with you that guys so much yeah and hang tight for a moment dr liz um but thank you so much for coming on again and again like she said you could find her on instagram and what's your instagram handle again at dr elizabeth Frederick. okay and your website is evolvecounseling.az.com yeah, so thanks for being on the show. Um, you guys, don't forget to subscribe to future episodes of the Bed Talks podcast. Thanks for joining us tonight. You can find us on the Anchor app, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, and many, many other platforms. So with that being said, until next time, XOXO. No darkness into my motions. So tired of living in yesterday. Go tell the weatherman I said all the rain from last year's pain is gone. Go tell the weatherman I sent good things for.